I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Fewer people are convinced by the story each day as they begin to see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. The time for allowing them to make us feel like strangers in our own country is over. We are Americans. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. This is the end game. It's Wednesday, February 9th, 2022, the 385th day of dystopia. Before we get started, just a little heads up. A lot of people have been requesting the podcast to be available on video platforms or to have clips available on video platforms. And I'm trying to do that as much as I can. So I have put up a couple of clips in the last two days. I put up the full podcast with Dave from the X-22 report on Rumble and BitChute. And the account name is the same as everywhere else. I'm your moderator on both of those websites. And then I put up the segment yesterday about Leanna Wen trying to reshape the science and the narrative around COVID and masking. So if you prefer to consume content in those ways or to share content in those ways, you can go to Rumble or BitChute and find those clips. Now, speaking of Leanna Wen, CNN's medical spokescommunist, the Daily Caller made this little video compilation of the evolving science of Leanna Wen, and it starts out in July 2020. Should there be a federal mask mandate? Yeah, at this point, there absolutely should be that mandate because we know that if all of us wear masks, we reduce the chance of transmitting or acquiring COVID-19 by five times. August 2020. There is a real danger when we politicize science. That public trust is broken when we are politicizing science instead of following scientific process. May 2021. My kids are not eligible to be vaccinated. It's not that I don't want them to be vaccinated. It's that they can't be. And I do really worry. June 2021. I have an almost four-year-old and a one-year-old. I cannot wait until they're eligible to receive the vaccine. I think until then, mask wearing for kids, especially if we are living in high transmission areas, is still going to be important. July 2021. And what we really need to do at this point is to make vaccination the easy choice. It needs to be hard for people to remain unvaccinated. August 2021. We wouldn't imagine bringing together 20, 30 unvaccinated adults, putting them in a single room together the entire day and have them not wear masks. Why would we say that that's okay for our children? September 2021. Travel and having the right to travel interstate, it's not a constitutional right as far as I'm as far as I know to um to to uh, to board a plane. And so saying that if you want to stay unvaccinated that's your choice, but if you want to travel, you better go get that vaccine. And don't ask Leanna when for information on constitutional rights. Also September 2021. 
I agree that masks are a very powerful layer of protection, but it's one layer. And if we have so many other layers that are present, masking may be one that could go away. But we are nowhere near that yet. And I think what we really need to do is get the vaccines authorized for children as soon as that's possible. October 2021. There is no evidence whatsoever for any other vaccine causing long-term consequences. We really should be a lot more worried about the virus and the short-term as well as long-term consequences on our children as opposed to the vaccine. December 2021. Um, A mask, even though it's outdoors, if there are lots of people packed around you wearing a three-ply surgical mask, don't wear a cloth mask. Cloth masks are little more than facial decorations. And that brings us up to the present day, February 2022 discussing of children continuing to mask. We should also be intellectually honest and say that masking has had a cost, especially for the youngest learners. So the risk benefit calculation has really changed. I'm the mom of two little kids under five. I can't wait until they are vaccinated, but I would wait until we find that the vaccines are safe and effective. And I'm not sure that we can say that at the moment because we just don't have the data. But I also think that other parents would want to wait until we know that three doses will produce the intended I'm not saying I don't think anyone really is saying that no one should ever wear masks, but rather that the responsibility should shift from a government mandate imposed from the state or the local district of the school. Rather, it should shift to an individual responsibility by the family. You have to appreciate how consistent she is with relaying the information that will always keep you tied to the central narrative and keep you in a state of confusion so that you can be more easily controlled, even as the science changes. She still is committed to always saying the things that she has to say. And it's amazing how much the science has evolved. Masks couldn't stop viral spread. And Anthony Fauci knew that too and admitted it on television on 60 Minutes. But then masks could change everything. And so Anthony Fauci told us that he didn't say that they could work before because he was trying to save the masks for the healthcare workers, the frontline workers. Now, do frontline healthcare workers use cloth masks or those little surgical masks to protect themselves from viral spread? No. But you should. You should. In fact, we're going to require you to wear them everywhere. You don't need an N95 mask. We were never told that until a couple months ago. Not that N95 masks would have made a difference. They wouldn't have. But you could wear whatever mask you wanted, and that was acceptable. Surgical mask on a plane. No problem. Bandana in the grocery store. No problem. Wrap a t-shirt around your face at 7-Eleven. No problem. All of those things will not save your life and will not prevent you from getting COVID, but they will show everybody else that you are following the rules, even when the rules don't make any sense. Now, I don't know if Anthony Fauci's initial advice took into account how effective the cloth masks that he himself wears around actually were. When he was trying to say that we need to keep the masks for the healthcare workers, maybe he thought we were going to run out of bandanas or T-shirts. Maybe he thought we were going to run out of Washington Nationals masks that he would wear 
eh, sometimes at the baseball game before he gets out on the pitcher's mound and throws a baseball about 25 feet diagonally to the left and absolutely nowhere near home plate, which is roughly as accurate as his medical advice over the last two years since he has not gotten a single piece of advice correct in the entire time. But everybody just played pretend, just like a child's tea party. You and your buddy are sitting around. His daughter's running around with her little friends. They're having a tea party. You have a teacup in front of you. Your buddy has a teacup in front of him. You're basically just drinking a beer and having a nice time. But then his daughter runs over and says, why aren't you drinking your tea? And of course, the best reason is there's no tea in the cup. But the daughter doesn't care. She's having a tea party. And she knows that if you're not pretending that there's tea in the cup, it hurts her ability to pretend there's tea in the cup. So wear your mask. You have to pretend it works so that everyone else can get the feeling that they're helping by pretending it works. And that's the sort of thing you have to put up with when you decide that people with actual children's brains get to make decisions for you. And it's even worse when it's not your friend's five-year-old daughter trying to get you to drink invisible tea. And instead, it's some sickly-looking blue-haired leftist screaming at you to put your mask on. Because if you don't pretend the masks work, then the crazed leftist who is pretending the masks work can't get any social credit from wearing the mask and following the rules and being the best behaved. That's the whole point. It's all about the social credit. No one actually believes they work. And that's why they'll never argue that the masks actually work. They'll only argue that you have to wear them and that they have seen this study or that study or everybody knows masks work. Once again, if masks work, why didn't they? Now, there was an article from Monday in American Greatness written by the great Lee Smith. Devin Nunes and Trump Media and Technology Group take on Silicon Valley. The effort to destroy Joe Rogan helps illuminate the nature of the current political battlefield. It's not about normal partisan politics. Rogan isn't a Republican. In December, he said that if Michelle Obama ran for president in 2024, she'd beat Donald Trump. That's right. Joe Rogan supports Michelle Obama to be president, which is definitely a strong mark in the Joe Rogan is clueless column rather than the Joe Rogan is bought off column. Rogan is a thoughtful and curious interviewer who has attracted an enormous following of 11 million listeners, making his podcast one of the biggest in the world. The left is going after Rogan to test run a kind of political power never before so successfully exercised in America, autocracy. If the Democratic Party and its allies in the press and social media can topple one of the biggest voices in the world, they will have shown they can shut down anyone. What's needed is a platform that guarantees freedom of speech for America's pro-America majority. Here's where Devin Nunes steps into the fight. He retired from his Central California congressional seat in December to become chief executive officer of the Trump Media and Technology Group, 
The most pressing project there is Truth Social, a social media platform that will challenge established and increasingly autocratic brands that are in partnership with the U.S. political faction led by Joe Biden and his former employer, Barack Obama. Social media and big tech represent an ideological battlefield, says Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton. And because these platforms are now inherently political, it's good to have someone like Nunes who knows the stakes in the lay of the land. He understands that nothing is normal when it comes to these social media platforms. They are ideological. The plan is to have Truth Social ready to go by spring in plenty of time for the November midterm elections. Nunes served nine full terms in Congress and stepped down during his 10th. According to colleagues, he believed he would be more helpful designing the communication infrastructure that would allow Americans to communicate with each other and ensure space for elected officials and candidates to message the American public without interference. It couldn't have been an easy choice for him, says author and Hoover Institution fellow Victor Davis Hansen, also a neighbor of Nunez in California's Central Valley. If Republicans take back the House in November, he would have been in line to become chairman of the Ways and Means Committee one of the House's most important positions, with jurisdiction over taxing and other revenue-raising measures. But Devin thinks he can do more for conservatives and the country by ensuring Republicans and others fighting Orwellian censorship have a way to communicate without being censored. Unlike many on Capitol Hill, Nunes has run a number of businesses, his first as a teenager, but he has no experience as CEO of a large publicly traded company. What made him an ideal candidate for the post was, however... His work on Capitol Hill, leading, as chairman and ranking member, the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. That background in intelligence work, how American enemies target us through all means of subterfuge, will prove indispensable in his new role. The Democrats and their allies will throw everything they have at TMTG, says Fitton. The company will be denied access to things you wouldn't think they could be denied access to. There will be scorched earth attempts to shut them down. Nothing will be off limits. And that little quote from Tom Fitton really caught my eye. First off, I think it's absolutely right. But it got me to wondering what they may be willing to do to make sure that people can't access this platform. Now, maybe all of those contingencies have been planned for. And we won't have any problems. That's entirely possible. And it's the best case scenario. And you have to assume that Trump and Nunez and the people around them setting up this truth social project have considered all of these possibilities. For instance, last year, when Amazon Web Services restricted access to the Google App Store and the Apple App Store, for Parler, they made it impossible for the Parler app to continue being used as it was, and it basically crushed the app. Now, Melania Trump says that she is going to get on Parler and that will be the home of her NFT project. That's very interesting. Maybe Parler has fortified their systems. Maybe they're going to make some kind of comeback. I welcome that. Good for them. Or it's possible that Parler could become part of Truth Social. And we know Truth Social's already worked out an agreement with Rumble. Rumble and Parler have some crossover in ownership and their history. Dan Bongino was part of both platforms. So we'll just have to wait and see. Now, taking them out of the app stores seems like the most 
obvious move ever, and you'd imagine that they have planned for that. As of now, you can still pre-order Truth Social in the Apple App Store. I'm not sure about Google. And the Apple App Store still has February 21st, 2022 as the release date for Truth Social. But all indications from Devin Nunes and from Liz Harrington and others are that Truth Social will be out by the end of quarter one, 2022. So that's the end of March. So in the next six weeks, we should definitely see or at least have a defined release date for Truth Social. But I've said many times, open, free, unrestricted speech is the greatest fear of the global communist institutions. What are they going to do when people can actually say true things to one another with enough eyes on the platform where those true things are being said? The only way they're still surviving right now is through censorship. So you can imagine that they're going to attack this platform pretty hard and try to smear whoever's on it, just all the things they do. But how far will they go? Will they make it impossible for you to access Truth Social from your Wi-Fi, for instance, or over your mobile data line? I'm not suggesting that's what they have planned. I don't know. I don't even know if that's technically possible. But I do know that if it is, they're going to try to do it. The last thing they want is the situation that they were dealing with in 2015, 2016, 2017, where Twitter had its algorithms to show people certain content and diminish other content, but they didn't have the full censorship regime in place that they have now. Donald Trump was able to talk to his supporters all day long on Twitter and actually get and observe the feedback from the things he was saying. They do not want him to be able to message in that style ever again. It's bad enough with just his statements for them. I mean, would they just shut off the Internet? What are they going to do if there's a free speech platform out there that millions and millions of people have flocked to? And then on that platform, we begin to see a 24-7 conversation about the true elements of COVID that the media still will not discuss, the true elements of election fraud that the media will not discuss, the true elements of January 6th that the media will not discuss, that would be an absolute meltdown. And if Trump is on the platform, the media figures kind of have to go on there to cover it. All the Twitter blue anons, they're not going to just be able to resist figuring out what is going on with that platform, what Trump's saying, how people are reacting. And that platform also has the potential to expose a lot of what's true about social media algorithms from the big tech companies. They're not going to have the ability on Truth Social to diminish some content and boost other content. They're not going to get the narratives they want. And if Blue and on Twitter people move over to Truth Social at all, they're not going to get the reactions that they're used to seeing every day in their timeline. They're going to think everybody's a bot because people don't agree with them constantly. Like, hey, Blue and on Twitter, you got bots now. Who do you think keeps telling you that you're smart 
and honest and trusted. Yes, of course, there are plenty of real child brains out there who believe the things that Jennifer Rubin says, but there's not as many as Jennifer Rubin thinks there are. And that, of course, is the problem with the big tech and media bubble. They actually believe the public trusts them and listens to them and believes them because their entire picture of what exists in the outside world is skewed by the algorithms and by the censorship. It's not just bad for us, right? Censorship sucks for us because we are censored and we could get our message out in a much more efficient way if we didn't have to deal with all the censorship. But we actually dig and find out what the truth really is, and we can back it up at length. They just repeat the slogans and then believe that their repetition of the slogans is sufficient and constitutes a real fact-based argument because no one ever challenges them. And if anyone somehow gets through and does challenge them, well, they just report those tweets and eventually those accounts get taken down or they block the people and never see them again. And that's one of the funniest things about all this. The very tool that they use to preserve their grip on the narrative is the one that's ultimately making it harder for them to preserve the grip on the narrative because they become their worldview becomes so distorted that they actually grow dumber the longer they're on those platforms. And by the way, so does everyone leave big tech. I've said it a thousand times. Leave big tech. Instagram, by the way, is just a demoralization machine. Okay, it's supposed to make you feel bad about your life and feel jealous of other people's lives because the lives they're displaying aren't real. And you know it, and the people displaying those fake lives know it too. Most of those people have been cowering in a corner under their blanket, scared of COVID in their little mask for two years. And of course, the algorithms exist to make you think that everyone else is doing the thing that you're not doing. Everyone else believes the thing the TV says and not the thing that all normal people are coming to understand. Those platforms exist to distort your worldview and make you succumb to the global communist worldview. That is why they are there. That is why they work hand in hand with the global communists and the members of America's uniparty infrastructure. They work hand in hand. Uniparty politicians are able to ask those platforms to censor on their behalf. That is a massive violation of everyone's First Amendment rights. But apart from that issue, just understand that it is still happening. You are being shown what you see on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook because they want you to see it. And you're not seeing the things they don't want you to see. And knowing that if you go on those platforms and you continually find yourself feeling lost and hopeless and like the rest of the world is against you and against the position that we share, you should understand that they are intentionally inflicting emotional harm on you to maintain their grip on narrative political power. And that's it. Back to Lee Smith. And Nunez knows they'll be coming after him with as much destructively 
maniacal force as they did trying to derail his investigation into the FBI's probe of the 2016 Trump campaign. Nunes saw through the Russiagate narrative and discovered that federal law enforcement had used programs designed to keep America safe from terror against American citizens. His 2020 book, Countdown to Socialism, is an account of the press and social media's central role in pushing information operations against the Democrat Party's enemies. And if you're not familiar with what that paragraph was referring to, I believe, I'm pretty sure that Lee Smith was referring to General Stanley McChrystal and his organization Defeat Disinfo, where they used DARPA-developed information technologies and strategies that they used in the Middle East to tamp down insurgencies. They used all of that against us, okay? Against us, against America, and against us in particular to influence and shape the political narrative in the country. Once again, there is no way that we would be in the position we're in without all of this stuff being done intentionally to distort the public's perception of reality. I was among the many who were disappointed to hear he had left Congress since he was one of the few incorruptible figures there, says Nunez's publisher at Encounter Books and author Roger Kimball. His dogged efforts to get to the bottom of extraordinary corruption were exemplary, especially as he took on a malicious cabal of deep state operatives and the media who saw he was getting close to the truth about the Russian collusion narrative. Kimball says he was proud to publish Nunez's book. It articulates the disastrous hold social media and gigantic tech entities have on the free exchange of ideas in our country. In the book, Nunez describes the funnel or how entities like Google, Facebook and Twitter shape what we see and read, distort the news and prevent us from knowing about important things and affect our responses. That's all Kimball. What's driving the decisions made by big tech and social media isn't a business model dependent on the idea of rational self-interest. Rather, it's ideological warfare in partnership with Democrat Party elites. 100%. And that is extremely important. Okay? You would expect that these businesses would be operating, especially because they're publicly traded, by the way, and this is going to cause them endless problems in the future. I said a year and a half ago, probably almost, that I think all of the big tech companies are going down and either will be uh, made public utilities or will be just gone. Okay. Facebook, Instagram, Google, all of it. I know that is an extreme view and an extreme statement. People don't believe that that sort of power and money can be taken down. I am here to tell you that is wrong. Watch it happen. And this is one of the main reasons because they are not operating solely for the good of their investors, which is their fiduciary duty. And they are violating the First Amendment of the Constitution again and again and again and again and again. And they're doing it as state actors because they're doing it in conjunction with the government. All of that is profoundly illegal. And none of it even touches what they're doing with your data that you are, sorry to say, basically giving them all of by continuing to use the platforms. And understand that last part as well. It is ideological warfare, 
We are in an information war. The big tech companies are the global communist states primary weapons, giving those weapons additional access to your data, giving them your attention and your time and allowing them to influence and manipulate you is not a good way to battle. It's clear the big tech companies are not making real business decisions anymore, says Fitton. Their decisions are based on other calculations. They are hostages to the government. Reuters confirmed that the Biden White House is meeting with big tech companies to get them to censor people. And if they don't, it's like being a bar owner when local toughs come and extract protection money from you. And he's exactly right. The big tech companies are serving at the leisure of the government. The government can punish them if they don't go along. Not that they don't want to. They seem to be going along just fine. But every time Jen Psaki or Joe Biden asks for more censorship, what do we get? We get another push toward more censorship. And we get Spotify saying, yeah, we'll put warning labels on. We'll delete Joe Rogan's podcast. No big deal. No one's ever going to hear about it when they censor and delete other content off their platforms. But Joe Rogan said, hey, guys, go ahead. It's OK. I don't mind being censored. I know that I hosted some people who said the no-no words, and I've said no-no words myself before. So I'm sorry to everyone for ever having crossed you. Please forgive me. Please allow me to stay on Spotify and make hundreds of millions of dollars. Nunez's role, then, is to make Truth Social the central node in a pro-free speech communications infrastructure. It's an alternative to big tech and social media, a foil to Silicon Valley and the culture of smugness and censorship, says Victor Davis Hanson. Devin has a sixth sense of what's important and what's not. He saw well ahead of everyone else what was going on with Russiagate, and he didn't back down. He will never back down if he knows he's right. And that is a great quality for someone in his position to have. Truth Social is going to be, I believe, crucial in the final stages of putting this country back on its proper course. You cannot have a country, a free country like the United States of America without the freedom of speech. That's why it's in the First Amendment of the Constitution. And of course, the founders did not know anything about the information environment we live in now. But that's why they wrote the rule book so that it would protect us from whatever might come along in the future to threaten basic human rights, like the ability to believe what you want and state your beliefs in public. And it really is crazy how the Democrat Communist Party views the Constitution now. You know, we talk a lot about the voting rights initiative that they're pretending is a real thing. It is just a centralized federal election takeover in direct violation of the words and intent of the Constitution, but they don't care because the Constitution is old. Yeah, those are the old rules, and those rules don't work for us anymore, so we want to change the rules. Well, hey, commies, the good thing is that there is actually a set of rules in the rule book that tells you how to change the rules. And all you have to do is go through that process 
by getting enough people on your side to agree that the rules need changed in the way you want to change them. And then you can change the rules. But that's not good enough because they can't get that done and they still want the rules changed. So rather than going through the process, which would be unsuccessful because they don't have the public on their side at all, they want to just change the rules. They don't have to follow the rules in their mind. Meanwhile, your child has to follow their totally capricious and anti-scientific masking rules. The rules that they just put in place because each governor just signed a piece of paper and said, everybody has to wear masks now. Got to follow those rules. In fact, you'll get rewarded for following those rules the best. But the rules that actually outline the foundational principles of the country, nah, you can ignore those whenever you want. Those are old. Those were written when men powdered their faces and wore wigs. They had no idea that men would be able to become women and women become men and men and women could become other things that no one's ever even thought of. Everything old is pointless. What we need is brand new ideas from some rich kids who can't bear the guilt of being rich kids. So they decide that they are going to be everybody else's heroes by fixing the world in their image. Now, I want to take just a second on a very, very amusing article that I read today in Business Insider by a guy named Bill Bostock, who is a very skinny, dorky looking millennial and an award winning journalist. Here's the headline. Trump will keep trying to overturn the 2020 election, quote, until we get the correct result. Spokeswoman says, and by the way, take some time today, go on the war room channel on rumble and find Liz Harrington's appearance on war room from yesterday in the afternoon, from Tuesday, February 8th in the afternoon. Liz Harrington is awesome. She speaks the soul of MAGA better than probably anyone on the planet outside of maybe Donald Trump. Former President Donald Trump and his allies will keep trying to overturn the 2020 election until we get the correct result, his spokeswoman has said. Liz Harrington made the comment during an episode of Steve Bannon's War Room podcast released Tuesday after Trump's former chief strategist asked about ongoing efforts to decertify the election. This is not going away and it is never going to go away until we get the correct result and fix our elections. It's just that simple. Harrington said, we are still getting more information about how fraudulent these elections were. Trump and his allies have long falsely maintained that the 2020 election was stolen from him and that fraudulent ballots unfairly swung the vote in President Joe Biden's favor. Now, just to pause and review the last couple of weeks. We have Wisconsin's Supreme Court ruling that the ballot drop boxes were illegal, are illegal now, and were illegal when the election was held. So that's a huge chunk of Wisconsin gone, way more than the limit, way more than would ever allow officials with integrity to certify Wisconsin's election. 
And that was on top of them already having ruled that the indefinitely confined voter status that was claimed by 170,000 additional voters over 2016 so that they could submit ballots without voter ID was also illegal. Wisconsin's election in 2020 was completely illegal according to the courts. It was certified anyway, and that's what all of the communists are now standing on. Well, you can't reverse it, so, but you can reverse it, and they will reverse it. Pennsylvania's Circuit Court of Appeals just ruled that Act 77 was illegal. So all of the mail-out ballots that they sent all over the state were illegal. That's 2.6 million votes in Pennsylvania. Joe Biden didn't win Pennsylvania. And I went through yesterday the resolution in Arizona to decertify their election and all of the evidence in that resolution. There isn't zero evidence that the election was stolen. There is overwhelming evidence the election was stolen. There is zero evidence that this reporter or any reporter can actually debunk all of that evidence because they can't debunk any of it. It's all real, which is why they ignore it. There is no evidence to suggest the election was stolen. Regardless, the Trump camp has launched a number of legal challenges to the election result, which have so far largely failed. And the award-winning journalist links to a February 15th, 2021 article from Reuters talking about how some of the election suits had failed, but not all of them. Some of them are still open and Donald Trump hasn't conceded. The election has been in dispute the entire time. It doesn't actually matter that John Roberts showed up on January 20th to swear in Joe Biden and Kamala Harris at the wrong time, in the wrong order, in front of Adele and Tom Hanks and a mittened and bundled up Bernie Sanders in an otherwise empty square. Pathetic. Now, Trump and his supporters are focused on decertifying the election result, something which is currently impossible in practice. Good luck, Ami. There is no legal process in the U.S. to decertify an election once a president has been sworn into office. And that has been addressed by plenty of legal minds that say Bill Bostock does not know what he's talking about. Bill Bostock isn't even an American. His interpretation of the Constitution is wholly irrelevant. And as was discussed in the resolution yesterday, the Constitution not laying out a process doesn't mean the thing can't be done. In fact, it means the thing can be done because there is nothing in the Constitution that expressly prohibits it. And the state legislatures have plenary power to adjudicate that situation. The only means of removing a president is through the impeachment process or 25th Amendment process set forth in the Constitution. And none of those measures lead to a decertification or to a revote. Richard Hassan, the co-director of the Fair Elections and Free Speech Center, told French outlet AFP last year. So I guess Bill Bostock can just take that word as gold and ignore it completely. Oh, it can't happen. That's just done and dusted. That's the end of the story. Refreshed efforts to decertify the election are underway in Arizona and Wisconsin. And speaking to Bannon, Harrington praised the Patriots still fighting for Trump. 
In September, Trump wrote a letter to Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger asking him to consider decertifying the 2020 election result. Raffensperger has previously said Biden won the state's election, but Brad Raffensperger doesn't tell the truth and is in a whole lot of trouble. In a separate podcast episode released last month, Bannon said that Trump's rally in Arizona on January 15th was the springboard for a national decertification attempt. It's the kickoff of 2022, a huge speech in front of a massive crowd by Donald J. Trump. And of course, they're all melting down about who's on stage with him. They're all people who are going to get this decertification of the 2020 Biden electors, he said. During the rally, Arizona State Senator Wendy Rogers led the crowd in a chant of decertify. So the thing that makes me really love these articles is that the writers are either clueless or lying. It's got to be one of the two. But what they do is basically state our narrative and then repeat the slogans. That's all they have. That's all that article is. There's no analysis of anything there. He's just saying these people are crazy. There's no evidence and they can't decertify even if there was. And I imagine for some people that seems very convincing. But British Bill Bostock is relying on his readers having child sized brains because the only actual takeaway for them besides the repetition of the slogans, which everybody knows is that people are actually still working on all of these things. He just told all those child brains that there are actual decertification attempts happening right now in Arizona and Wisconsin. That's not happy news for these people. He might get a lot of clicks out of this, but he's doing our work for us. And it's hilarious. Now, yesterday on the Just the News broadcast, that's John Solomon and my friend Amanda Head on Real America's Voice, americasvoice.news, you can watch it. John Solomon broke some news about Liz Cheney. It seems that she has some unfortunate family ties and business ties to the Chinese Communist Party, which I know is shocking for the daughter of Dick Cheney. The headline, Liz Cheney's Hunter Biden Problem. Husband's firm reps China companies, dictatorial regimes. Representative Liz Cheney from Wyoming called on the U.S. to stand up to the generational threat posed by China while unveiling a major report on Beijing's malign behavior. At the same time, her husband's law firm was working on behalf of companies linked to China's military, intelligence and security services. As Cheney stood at the podium, her husband, Philip Perry's law firm, was cashing in on legal and lobbying work that his employer, Latham & Watkins, one of the largest law firms in the world, was doing for a host of Chinese companies, some of which were involved in the kind of activity that Cheney was warning had to be stopped. All of Latham & Watkins' work discussed in this article was legal, and Perry didn't work directly on these accounts. But as a partner at the firm, he benefits and profits from all its work. Perry's firm's work for Chinese entities and countries whose human rights abuses and authoritarian rule have troubled the U.S. for years seems to conflict with his wife's frequent calls for America to stand up to autocratic regimes like China. The dynamic is one familiar to longtime observers of Washington, D.C., a power couple calling out the very behavior from which they benefit. It's the kind of say one thing, do another that Americans hate in Washington, D.C., Former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows said Tuesday, Liz Cheney will have a lot of explaining to do to the Wyoming voters. 
In September 2020, House Republicans publicized the final version of an extensive report conducted by the China Task Force, a body comprised of 15 members of Congress, including Cheney. The review examined the multifaceted threat to the U.S. presented by the ruling Chinese Communist Party. China is rapidly developing a military force that is capable of winning regional conflicts, and they're expanding their military footprint globally, Cheney said at a press conference where the report was unveiled. The government of China and the Chinese Communist Party have gone to school on the United States. They've looked at our capabilities, and they have developed capabilities to counter those. We must counter the Chinese Communist Party globally as it seeks to establish more robust logistics and basing infrastructure around the world as it seeks to project its own military power. It is very important for everyone to note that we are in the midst of a battle between freedom and totalitarianism. The question we all face is whether the United States and our allies will set the rules of the road into the future or whether the Chinese Communist Party and that authoritarian totalitarian regime will set the rules of the road. The month before Cheney's press conference, Latham and Watkins, quote unquote, advised Tencent, the mammoth Chinese technology company, on becoming a shareholder in Voodoo, a leading video game developer. The month after Cheney's press conference, Latham and Watkins represented Tencent on a merger between two companies that formed a wholly owned subsidiary under Tencent's umbrella. Tencent is one of 15 companies designated by Beijing, quote, to facilitate industry-wide coordination, end quote, with the Chinese government on artificial intelligence, according to a Pentagon report to Congress from last year. Analysts believe AI will play a central game-changing role in China's military innovation and future warfare strategy and say it's already making a difference. Well, it's good that they have Liz Cheney's husband's firm supporting their efforts. The CIA concluded Tencent received funding from the Chinese Ministry of State Security early on in its foundation when they were trying to build the so-called Great Firewall to censor the Internet inside China, foreign policy reported in 2020. Tencent denied the allegations. Tencent, which Latham and Watkins has represented on multiple occasions, has also been researching quantum computing since 2018 and is, quote, entrenched in the Chinese government's high-tech dual-use innovation drive, end quote, according to RWR Advisory Group, which highlighted several examples of Tencent's ties to Chinese military. These dual-use applications have been designated by the Chinese government as strategic military resources and key to civil military fusion efforts. Experts note the line between what's meant for civilian use and military application is non-existent in China. And perhaps, I might add, that's why Anthony Fauci, through the EcoHealth Alliance, was funding dual-use viral research in the Wuhan lab, dual use, you got that civil and military. While the U.S. government often twists itself into knots determining what is classified or unclassified, the Chinese government often sees little to no distinction, said Craig Singleton, an adjunct China fellow at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. Instead, Beijing is focused on collecting and harnessing any and all useful information to power its defense modernization. This includes everything from foundational knowledge taught on U.S. college campuses to cutting-edge research, much of which is not technically classified but still has potential military applications. 
The Chinese government, quote, has not been transparent about its defense buildup, thereby making it very difficult to determine which kinds of cooperation pose a national security risk, Singleton added. These disciplines vary widely from specialties such as artificial intelligence and armaments technology to fields not typically associated with the defense industry, including geology. Latham and Watkins has also advised companies forging partnerships with Alibaba, another major Chinese tech firm, which, like Tencent, is pursuing cutting-edge technological research with military applications. In January 2019, executives from Alibaba reportedly met with representatives from the Military Civilian Fusion Division of the Sion Development and Reform Commission and the Sion Weapons Science and Technology Industrial Base to discuss collaboration. The previous year, the vice president of Alibaba Cloud Computing, Song Ji, spoke at the inaugural Military Big Data Forum hosted by the Chinese Military's Academy of Military Sciences. The Pentagon and State Department have long been concerned about Alibaba and Tencent sharing data on U.S. citizens with the Chinese government. Last year, the Trump administration considered prohibiting Americans from investing in either company over its alleged ties to China's military and security services, but ultimately shelved the plan after the Treasury Department expressed concerns that doing so would trigger widespread economic fallout. Latham and Watkins has done legal and lobbying work for numerous other companies in both Hong Kong and mainland China, according to a review of press releases from the firm's extensive China practice. Indeed, Latham and Watkins has helped push through billion dollar deals for Tencent and other Chinese companies. Well, I guess Joe Biden and Hunter Biden aren't the only politicians in the swamp who are doing deals with the Chinese Communist Party. Representative Greg Stubbe from Florida quips during an interview on Just the News television program. It's exactly the kind of thing that everyday Americans are sick and tired of. The China Task Force report, which Cheney endorsed, called for divesting from companies with ties to the Chinese military. In China today, quote, the CCP controls every aspect of government, business, society and personal life. The report stated China's entire civil government is subservient to the CCP. All companies are required to establish CCP cells in their operations and support CCP security agencies, the report continued. The CCP embeds its members in every company and organization. And, I should add, they do that here too. Beyond China, Latham and Watkins has aided other foreign entities under scrutiny for their human rights records. For example, the firm advised Etihad Etisalat, or Mobili, a leading telecommunications operator in Saudi Arabia in connection with a $200 million facility made available by Export Development Canada. In September 2019, to cite another example, Latham and Watkins agreed to lobby on behalf of the Ministry of Justice for the Republic of Kazakhstan, registering with the Justice Department in accordance with the Foreign Agents Registration Act. Thus far, Latham and Watkins has received at least $111,717 from Kazakhstan for its lobbying services. Latham and Watkins has also advised Kazakhstan's sovereign wealth fund. Kazakhstan, quote, heavily restricts freedom of assembly, speech, and religion, end quote, and has jailed outspoken opponents of its government, according to Human Rights Watch. A leadership change in Kazakhstan in 2019 did not significantly improve respect for human rights. Human Rights Watch wrote in its World Report 2020. And I don't take anything Human Rights Watch says for granted as truth, and neither should you. The report added that 
After an election marred by irregularities in June 2019, authorities responded to widespread peaceful protests around the elections with mass detentions and intensified harassment of perceived or actual opposition members. Isn't that amazing that Human Rights Watch can report on these things during attempted election steals in countries around the world? But when it happens here, peaceful protests are insurrections. And the jailing of opposition members without trial are not human rights abuses. They are just necessary steps to preserve our democracy. And now you can see why I don't trust Human Rights Watch. The Ministry of Justice is responsible for overseeing the country's legal agencies. China and Kazakhstan are two countries that Hunter Biden's firm also targeted for business while his father was vice president during the Obama years. Latham and Watkins previously agreed to lobby on behalf of the Ministry of Defense for the Republic of Belarus, filing with the Justice Department in 1993 and terminating the agreement in 1994. The focus of the lobbying concerned, quote, the appropriation and disbursement, end quote, of funds related to the decommissioning of Soviet weapons of mass destruction. At the time, Belarus had yet to hold elections or approve a new constitution after declaring independence after the fall of the Soviet Union. And that's kind of about the time where George Soros got super involved in Belarus. Belarus's form of government continues to parallel closely that of the former Soviet Union, The State Department wrote in its State Country Report on Human Rights Practices 1993. In a statement to Just the News, Perry clarified his role in the firm's dealings with foreign entities. I have not personally represented China, an entity owned by China, Kazakhstan, or Belarus, he said. I have not registered on behalf of any foreign entity under the Foreign Agents Registration Act at any point in time. Latham and Watkins does not appear on the Department of Justice's list of foreign agents registered as representing the government of China. Any use of my name by my former law firm in a registration filed 31 years ago for the embassy of Belgium was in error, Perry added, referring to his name being listed on a FARA filing by his ex-employer, Squire Sanders and Dempsey in the early 90s. Cheney's office didn't respond to a request for comment for this story. However, Cheney has spoken publicly about the importance of the U.S. promoting human rights abroad and since the January 6th Capitol riot has accused former President Trump and Republicans who support him of undermining American democracy. At the same time, however, her husband has been earning money as a partner at Latham and Watkins, which boasts being the second highest grossing law firm in the world. According to Latham and Watkins, its profit per equity partner is four point five two million dollars. So you might say, well, that's just Cheney's husband and he's just working at a law firm and his firm does that work. It's not him. So maybe there's not a conflict of interest. Well, he is a partner at that firm. His firm profits based on the firm's success and he profits based on the firm's success. And his firm is involved in lobbying within the United States and elsewhere for the CCP while his wife was one of the more powerful members of the Republican Party and the Republican establishment until she became a January 6th conspiracy theorist who is essentially just working for the Democrats. Democrats are donating to Liz Cheney's campaign. CNN and the mainstream media are covering for Liz Cheney. She's like the new hero now. Democrats love it. When someone from, quote unquote, the other side seems like 
one of the good ones to them, which, by the way, is essentially how the Democrat Communist Party thinks of its relationships with people of ethnic minority backgrounds as well. They just want one of the good ones. Well, we're going to find one of the good ones and we're going to put them on TV. How do we know they're one of the good ones? Well, they're totally susceptible to corruption and compromise. And in some sense, they legitimately believe in the communist world agenda. And that is all it takes. So Democrats love Liz Cheney and they love Adam Kinzinger. They still believe that there's some silver bullet that's going to take out Trump every time the media comes up with a new silver bullet. They're all like, oh, this is the one Letitia James in New York. She's going to get him. We're going to get all his tax returns, and that's going to show all his corruption. While their politicians don't release tax returns and are provably corrupt on a scale most people can't even comprehend. And as for the American people, we just have to accept Liz Cheney's excuse that none of this is a conflict of interest. There's nothing wrong here at all. Yes, we have an extremely powerful American law firm lobbying on behalf of the Chinese Communist Party, but my husband doesn't do that work, and I have never done anything to help them. Now, over the last few weeks, a man named Andrew Huff has been publicly blowing the whistle on some level about EcoHealth Alliance, Peter Daszak's company, the pass-through, which is how Anthony Fauci funded the gain-of-function research in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And he wrote a letter to Senator Roger Wicker yesterday. I'm going to share that letter with you, but there's some extensive analysis on this from Wendy Strock Mahoney in Uncover DC. So you can look that up if you want to get the larger story. Dear Senator Wicker, my name is Dr. Andrew Huff. I was the vice president of data and technology at EcoHealth Alliance. I was the executive in charge of data analysis and technology development related to emerging infectious diseases across a large portfolio of government funded contracts. This work was funded by a wide variety of agencies, DOD, DTRA, IARPA, USAID, CIA, NIH, USDA, and many other governmental and non-governmental sponsors, Wellcome Trust, Smithsonian, and Google. I was also country coordinator for the PREDICT program, Jordan in Sudan, where we were searching for novel coronaviruses globally, was a senior member of the modeling and analytics team, and served as an advisor to the United Nations. I participated in all executive leadership meetings. In these meetings, we discussed organizational strategy, program development, program management, finance, budgeting, personnel, and all other aspects of the operation and management at EcoHealth Alliance. I also consulted on numerous projects as a PhD level emerging infectious disease scientist and epidemiologist across numerous projects at the organization. I also reviewed many of the proposals generated by the organization. Whistleblower complaints were sent to the ICOIG, USDA's OIG, NIH's OIG, USAID's OIG, and OIG is Office of the Inspector General, DOD's OIG, and DTRA's OIG. And DTRA is the Defense Threat Reduction Agency. 
In late October 2021, I came forward as a material witness and whistleblower related to numerous unethical and criminal behaviors that took place at EcoHealth Alliance, the organization that established the relationship with the Wuhan Institute of Virology and funded the development of SARS-CoV-2, more commonly known as COVID-19. And notice for a second how plainly he said that last part, right? I take it as a given and I say it as a given that the coronavirus, the COVID-19, was created in the Wuhan lab. There is more than ample proof that that is true. There is absolutely no proof of a zoonotic origin, but they just keep throwing it out there as a possibility so that people can say, well, you don't know that. You don't know what was created in the lab. And that is how liberals get out of conversations. They find one thing that someone can't be absolutely certain of in the fact guy sense, right? You have to give them every single source that says exactly that thing. And then, and then, because they don't read the sources and they don't actually care about the sources, they still need a figure that they trust as an authority to also agree. That is the only way that they can form a new thought or a new reality. They need to have you be able to prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt to the point where they have no other questions. And then they still need permission from an authority because they have child brains. Back to the letter. EcoHealth Alliance engaged in fraud against the U.S. government, time card fraud and contract reimbursement fraud. After I identified and learned about these serious issues, I brought them to the attention of Peter Daszak, Dr. Alexi Chamura, and CFO Harvey Kasten. After raising these issues at the meeting, Harvey Kasten went home from work, had a heart attack, and died. Dr. Peter Daszak disclosed to me in late 2015 and early 2016 that he was working with the CIA. I also have documents in my possession and which have been posted to Twitter and shared with several journalists that prove EcoHealth Alliance was working with the intelligence community. These documents include the InQtel pitch deck authored and presented by Dr. Dashak and the IARPA report that I wrote. And IARPA is the Intelligence Advanced Research Projects Activity. The executive team openly discussed the gain-of-function work and research in China, where I was opposed to it for numerous obvious reasons, mainly training the CCP in bioweapons and intellectual property theft. EcoHealth Alliance and foreign laboratories did not have the adequate control measures in place for ensuring proper biosafety, biosecurity, and risk management ultimately resulting in the lab leak at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. In fact, I raised these concerns at an executive project planning meeting where Dr. Dashik quickly dismissed my concerns. This information is also validated by cables between the U.S. consulate in China and the State Department, although this is not limited to China. EcoHealth Alliance was working with the Wuhan Institute of Virology and gain-of-function work with Dr. Ralph Barrick at the University of North Carolina before NIH, NIAID, and Dr. Anthony Fauci funded the work there. I have released the documents that prove this claim on Twitter and to the press. EcoHealth Alliance, as do most of the best scientists in the world, work before receipt of funding to complete the work. This is commonplace throughout academia. And this is how the best scientists collect the necessary preliminary data to obtain funding on highly competitive grants. 
Often the first year of work is mostly or completely completed before the funding is awarded. At EcoHealth Alliance, we always worked ahead of the work. This is an important fact because the diffuse grant proposal sent to DARPA by EcoHealth Alliance specifically describes the gain of function work that would lead to an accidental or intentional release of SARS-CoV-2 by the Chinese beginning in September of 2019. Suggesting that there is a high likelihood that the work in the DARPA diffuse proposal written and submitted by EcoHealth Alliance was well underway before an award determination by DARPA was made. Dr. Peter Dashak could be a double agent working on behalf of the Chinese government. This is based on my observations of his behavior and the nature of statements related to working with the Chinese and in parentheses did not see risks, concerns, or other obvious problems related to conducting gain-of-function work or other high-risk laboratory work in China, which is completely absurd given what a CEO's duties and responsibilities are to the board of directors, the company, and its employees. I look forward to testifying under oath to these unfortunate factual statements, and I am at your service. Now, I've said for a long time that I believe there's going to be an army of whistleblowers coming forward on all of this stuff on COVID, on the election on January 6th, because people do know the truth. And it's one thing for us to put pressure on from the outside, right? Public pressure. And we do what we can to follow the leads that we have with the best information we can find to figure out what's really going on. But that's never going to be as good as someone on the inside actually coming forward with the documentation and the record of events that can show us exactly how and why all of this stuff occurred. Steve Bannon on the war room in the afternoon yesterday was very, very strongly implying that there's an army of whistleblowers behind the scenes already. And I imagine that's probably true. There are going to be people who don't care about their jobs more than they care about the country, who know that whatever organization they were in and whatever the reason was for them joining the organization, you have to believe these people thought at first that they were doing good and important work. But you got to believe that there is a point at which those people will either feel so guilty that they must come forward in a moral sense so that they can sleep at night or that they will see the narrative collapsing in such a way that they realize somewhere down the line it's going to be their future, their freedom, their financial life on the line for not coming forward. I expect we're going to start seeing tons of this actually coming out. But this letter makes some pretty significant claims, and I am definitely going to keep an eye on this to see where it goes. And in the meantime, we just keep the information stream flowing and keep putting pressure on the people in office to go out and serve their constituents and make a difference and get this country back on track. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. Don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. 
Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator. You can join the discussion at t.me slash I'm reasonable. I'm also on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator. The Substack is I'm your moderator and the merch site is cancelcouture.com. You can also go direct to that at shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. I'll see you next time out on the range. Moderator for tonight's broadcast. It's high noon. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm Your Moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon, down on the range. It's hell!